I kind of realized that playing the guitar, playing music in general, not just the guitar, but um, playing music and writing music was always just, it was my safe place, it was my escape, it was my joy, it was that, you know, it was this innocent, um, pure thing that hadn't yet been tainted by the, the industry and the world around me and all that stuff. Um, and I realized that I needed to protect that. And some of my influences have, have been the same. Um, some, I've worked with some really great people. Many of them have said the same thing, sort of, you know, versions of the same sort of thing to me um, based on, you know, no matter what happens in your career, success, failure, you know, good things, bad things, um, never let go of that thing, that, that pure relationship that you have with the music. Never forget, it's like never forget the reason why you do it. That was Danny McCrum. This is from the Maker to the Maid podcast. You are listening to From the Maker to the Maid podcast. How's it going? Hope you're keeping well in this strange time still strange yeah this whole year has been pretty strange but you know i was thinking about the future and what it's going to look like what it's going to look like for artists and creatives and musicians and everybody that's trying to make things and in this episode we spoke about the future of the music industry and the, this idea of starting from starting from scratch and uh, if you were to start the music industry tomorrow but this goes for every industry creative industry if you if you were to start it up tomorrow from scratch what would it look like and we're kind of in that stage now so we have an opportunity where we can look to the future with uh with hope anyway that's my thought of the day you're very welcome back again, back to From the Maker to the Maid. It's my podcast. My name's Barry Power. Uh, on this episode is Danny McCrum. Danny's a multi-instrumentalist from New Zealand, songwriter, guitar player, producer. He shared stages and worked with a who's who of world-class players. People like John Mayer, Jeff Beck, John Butler Trio. He's released four albums. He has a long-running podcast, which he co-founded with drummer Bo Bobby Kennedy from the band Op Shop called Don't Quit Your Day Job. Don't Quit Your Day Job, I have to say, such a great show. I can't recommend it highly enough. Danny and Bobby have such a great rapport and they've actually just just passed their 100th episode. 100 episodes, man, I can't even think about that. That's crazy. Uh, in the episode, we talked about piano lessons, writing on your main instrument, getting stuck in a rut guitar players and how they like to do flashy things and play sports guitar if you're a guitar player you'll know what that means the changing face of the music industry podcasting uh, mentorship social media and we had a good old-fashioned old man rant at the end as usual all the links to danny's socials are included in the show notes thanks to everybody who's been liking and subscribing and sharing the podcast around Come find me, barrypowermusic.com. Sign up to my mailing list there. Get uh, my ebook where I choose to shine a light. And if you'd like to help in the support of making this podcast a brand new Patreon page, it's um, patreon.com forward slash barrypower. You can go and become a patron of the arts. You can pretend like you're a Medici. If you'd like to be a guest or you know somebody that might like to be a guest and Come on and talk about their experience of creating things and making things. Drop me an email from the maker to the maid at gmail.com or get in touch, you know, DM me on Instagram or whatever. And uh, yeah, much appreciated. Everybody is listening. And uh, if you're creative and you're having a tough time of it at the moment, um, you're not alone. There's a lot of us out here who are. Uh, having an existential crisis at the moment. And um, the one thing to remember is that one stroke of the pen can bring you freedom and happiness. And that is not from me. That is from a painter called Juan Miro. And uh, 
there's truth in that. It's not so much about the future of what you do, but about what you do now. Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. Here's Danny. Danny McCrum, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I got here eventually. Thank you. Yeah. I, ca- I, ca- I flew all the way from New Zealand. Nice. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Good evening. Whatever yeah. it is. So, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> who are you? Uh, who am I? I often uh, ask myself the same question. Uh, I, uh, I'm from New Zealand. Uh, I'm a musician. I'm a guitar player and a singer predominantly. Um, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've never completely known how to define myself musically because I've always loved every, well, most kinds of music and I like dabbling in them all. And uh, every time anyone has tried to define me into any kind of genre, I tend to do the opposite. Nice. Because um, so, <laughs> I, I hate the idea of being categorized as something, you know? So, yeah. If, yeah. So it, it kind of annoys me when someone goes, you're this kind of musician. I go, fuck you. I'm not, you know, <laughs> go and do something different, you know? Um, and I don't know why I've got that in my head. It's just the way I am. So, yeah. yeah. Good. When, <laughs> when did you first get into music? Um, I was into music right from, like, as a fan, I was into music as far back as I can remember, really. Uh, but when I got into playing, had a kind of a false start, uh, I don't know, age six or so, when um, I was put into piano lessons. I don't know I don't know why they put me into piano lessons. I don't know. I might have asked to be put into them, or perhaps they were just, you know, perhaps the parents were just trying to give me an, a, a rounded, you know, range of things to do. But... Uh, it didn't land with me. I didn't get it. You know, I loved I loved listening to music, but I didn't get the kind of conservative approach to learning music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I remember doing these lessons and just playing songs that I didn't get. You know, just like random kids' songs and things. And yeah, that wasn't kinda, what I wanted like to hear. Extra homework. Yeah, and it felt like homework too. And they made it like you know you've got to do fifteen minutes a day, and they sort of set it up like a chore in a way. You know, um, and it just didn't. It didn't resonate with me and it kind of confused me at the time because I thought, well, I love music and I want to play music, but I don't like this. And so eventually, I, I think I did like five years of piano and didn't get really any, like too much out of it. And then um, a few years later, I was about 11 and I started messing around on this old guitar that had been lying around in the house. Um, my family is completely unmusical, so it's not like I sort of learned anything from anyone. And um, I asked for lessons for my 12th birthday. And as soon as I had lessons, uh, I put chords together. And within a couple of months, I was writing songs. And a month later, I was performing my first gig. And then from oh, there, cool. I've just, I've been playing live in, in one way or another since I was 12. So so that was my kind of weird entrance into it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't, <laughs> yeah. It, isn't it weird how there's kind of that disconnect where it's like, um, yeah. You know, you show an aptitude for music and it's like, right, we'll go, go learn. But there's something in the learning of the music that kind of, you know, is separate from the interest, yes. if you know what I mean. It's kind of Absolutely. like ac- academic or something. It's really important to have the right people get you into it. I think it's the same thing with getting into albums. Like how many bands and albums do you think, well, I know that's a good band, but for some reason I never got into them. It just sort of passed you by, you know, and I think it's because you've, Usually you've got to have someone just go, hey man, you've got to check out this album. Yeah, and yeah, a, you need a, like a, a gatekeeper. Yeah, and and I think it's like that for a lot of things. And um, and the piano just didn't, I mean, I love the piano. I absolutely love the piano. And I, I really wish that I could play it properly, but I can't. I kind of play it like an idiot. But um, uh, I wish that I'd stuck with it, but it just didn't land with me. So, yeah. but hey, fortunate enough go. to have found the guitar anyway. so do you do you write mostly on guitar now uh that's an interesting question because i um i did for the longest time and in recent times uh actually on my last album that came out last year called hustle bustle um i specifically forced myself to not write from the guitar um I, i forced myself to write from the position of groove and melody um you know strong vocal melody strong groove of some kind bass line drum line some well, you know something like that because i was trying to just sort of disrupt my sort of tendency because i think you'll probably know what i mean like most guitarists pick up the guitar and arrive at the same places yeah you know, totally yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and and the so, more you do it the more you kind of get set into 
you know, st- some stuff that you feel will work, but yes, that's not necessarily kind of new or breaking any that, new ground. Exactly. Know? Yeah. So I figured the best way to disrupt that was to remove the instrument. And a lot of a lot of the music that I love, um, the guitar is actually kind of added later. Like I, I've always been a, a big fan of the police and Andy Summers parts, which are amazing parts, in my opinion, um, they just sort of sit there and compliment, you know, really these strong parts that Sting and Copeland put down underneath. And yeah, I thought, wouldn't, yeah. It be, wouldn't it be cool to write my guitar parts like that? But I'd never done it before because I'd always written from the guitar. So that's that was that's the, true, and it's hard though because it's kind of like, you know, right? I'm going to write a song. Get me my guitar. You know, it's, it's yeah. like it's the first thing you think about. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to to step away from that. Yeah, how, well, did, you, I, how did you find it? I I really enjoyed it, but I mean, I've been writing, you know, since I was twelve. It's so long ago. Like I've really exhausted that that approach. I think for myself, you know. I don't, I don't know if I've got much left in the tank <laughs> like to, to write from the guitar now because I, I get so bored with my own ideas, you know? So like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I find, um, for me personally, I, I, the, the melodies that I come up with that I like the most, I come up with um, without an instrument in my hand. You know, it's, it's, it's because I'm, I'm usually driving or, or walking the dog or something and I'll just start humming something. And I guess it's because it's, it's falling out in a such a sort of natural way um, and it's not being sort of consciously built around note structure or the physicality of the fretboard or anything like that. Yeah, um, you never do an, a, an accidental blues lick in your, you know, <laughs> that's right. singing melodies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or default yeah. to a hammer. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just going to bend yeah. this note here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and make a yeah. face. That's right. I mean, I kind of feel like the, the best melodies are pretty simple and just, you know, they're quite simply constructed. Like I love Bill Withers, for example, and and his melodies were so beautiful, you know. Yeah. Um, but they but they weren't like complex, really. They were just really good, <laughs> and you could hum them. Yeah, that, I think that's the thing about writing on guitar as well is that you know the more you learn, the more you want to throw in complicated shit. <laughs> that's know? right. Yeah. And uh, you know, being when when you're singing a melody, like you you only have one note at a time. Yes. Which, <laughs> Which is That's very right. helpful when, when you're writing melodies, you know, but you don't go off into, you know, harmonies and, and uh, or counterpoint or something. Well, guitar, yeah, I mean, the guitar culture is quite a funny one, isn't it? Because I don't know if it's as true or as extreme in other instruments, uh, you know, fields that we have this big kind of trick work aspect to the guitar culture where... Yeah, yeah. Check out my skills. Yeah, like look how fast I can go, or look how like complicated the sapigio sweepers, or whatever, and like who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, and they're kind of the the least musical things as well. Yes, that's it's right. Like the, the things that impress guitar players are like the least musical. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, it'd be like, like if you you could yeah, just like, imagine you have a killer melody in your song, and then. You come in and wail all over, and it's like, yeah, your song was great until it went all weird and guitar-y. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many times, though, like, I don't know if you've experienced this, but the number of times in the past I've been involved in, a, in mixing a project, and, you you know, you bring up the rhythm section and the vocals and everything, and it's sounding fantastic, and then you bring up the guitars, and you go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, it's actually quite challenging to come up with a guitar part that really adds to the piece and doesn't take away from it or distract the piece, oh, especially totally. these days, yeah. especially yeah, these days. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, guitarists in terms of like thinking in terms of parts for a song rather mm. than I'm going to play all over this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah. and I say that cause I'm, I'm definitely guilty of doing that myself. And <laughs> oh, I think I, we all are. I, I find it in live situations as well. Because I play yeah. a lot of covers in, in, in a wedding band and things. Yeah. And, um, you know, you start off with the, the actual dedicated parts like they were. Mm. And then a few weeks of playing it, you've kind of developed into your own, you know, you've drifted away from the parts. And right. suddenly now there's like complicated bits going in where there's totally no need <laughs> for it. Because you're doing it every night, you know. You're like <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and then there's the, the, the problem of like, if you're, a, if you're playing covers, and I've done loads, I mean, we all have done loads of that, right? Um, where, how do you construct the part? Like, when, when so much of the original performance included random, 
you know weird things in the song but also so many songs are built up with like layered you know guitar parts and you're the only guitar player in the band let's say and you're yeah. now having to figure out you have to figure out how to make your part sound like the four guitar parts that were actually in the original i know yeah do you think that guitarist would love that <laughs> But have you, you ever be, had a band you, leader? Have you ever had a band leader go, "No, that's not right. That's not how it goes." And oh go, yeah, totally. And you're like, "Yeah, I know, but I, I can't really actually play it like how it goes because we need three other people." <laughs> yeah. Oh, or you go. There's just one note in that part. The hook you're hearing is like really simple, but if you play it live, it's the whole arse is going to fall out of the song. <laughs> that's right. I remember um, playing China Girl on a show once, and the and the the um the music director goes, "This has to be you know exactly like the original." Okay, no problem. So I worked out exactly like the original, and the verse in China Girl is so sparse. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it's great. It's awesome. And I was very happy about it. I love I love Bowie, you know. Um, uh, but um, so I I played it very true to the original. And then in, in sound check, he comes up. He goes, No, 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 no. It's not heavy enough. You know, check out this live version. We want it to sound like that. And I listened to the live version. There were like three rock guitarists like digging in and filling up all the holes yeah yeah. and, and i was like you don't even know or, what you want. or a keys part <laughs> that it's like you know. that's right <laughs> it's totally mad so like does your bass player get really annoyed then when you're like i've written this killer bass line for my new song because <laughs> you're approaching it like from a melody point of view or a groove point of view and your bass player is like Okay, man. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I, lo- I love it how you ask about the bass player first and not the drummer. <laughs> ah, nobody gives a fuck about the drummer. <laughs> um, uh, bass players I've worked with in the past would be like that for sure. But I happen to um, work with a great bass player who's who's totally up for it. You know, he... Because um, I, I, cause I, um, I think the way that I write is that I, I... Even if I write a really specific bass line, um, I leave a lot of room in there for the musicians to bring their own in, yeah. you know, because uh, I, I really love good musicianship and, uh, and a lot of my heroes, you know, they have great musicians in their bands and I, can't, I, I guess I've kind of watched them. I've gone, I've, I've seen how someone like Sting or Peter Gabriel or Stevie Wonder or, or Bill Withers, people like that, they would have such great players in the band and then they would not micromanage them because they knew that the musicians would always come up with something better. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So that's my approach, and therefore I think I think the guys that I work with, they know that, and I think they like it because they get to kind of experiment a bit more. So they're quite happy to take direction. I'm like, this part we want specifically to be like this, but on the other bit, do whatever you want. Yeah, you know. So, so yeah. you'd have specific parts in the song where it's like, you know, just yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Like and- um on on uh, the the latest album, the second song was very driven by the bass line very specific bass line um there wasn't really much room for him to you know to move it anywhere i mean but he also agreed because he's a great like i think that's a musician though like a a good musician is someone who understands that the song comes first and so i think he would um he would speak up if he thought that it wasn't the best decision for the piece yeah yeah yeah. but but i think he he um listened to that one and went yeah that's 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 how it should go you know so all good that's what we'll do and do you work that kind of stuff out? Like, yeah, presumably you work all that stuff out in rehearsals before you get into a studio. <laughs> it may shock you, but no. Uh, <laughs> well, um, see, this is it because, you know, I've, yeah. I've been in kind of both situations where, you know, yeah. I've recorded where things are like super managed and, you know, absolutely everything that goes into it. And then I've been in other situations where it's like, we haven't quite worked out the bridge yet, so... Just don't press record yet for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done both too. I really like that. I, I love having time in the studio to develop things. Um, yeah, there's like, I mean, are you a spontaneous kind of oh, on yeah. the spot or are you a planner? I'm both. You know, I'm, I'm, I love both options because um, I, I like working as a session musician too. Um, you know, when there's work, there's not that much around anymore. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, but uh, I really like going in and, and just developing stuff and playing around with ideas and for some reason the 17th take is the one and no one can figure out why it's just the magic one you know yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah true you know i love all that stuff but um i also really like planning stuff it's cool but i mean i I think like when if we're talking about my music um then i've always just taken that approach of drawing an outline and then letting them fill it in the way that they 
you know instinctively feel that they should because i feel that they'll get better results than i would have planned anyway yeah. um but like i say um i've played as a session musician too and i i really like taking direction as well i find that really interesting and challenging as well so well, it's nice yeah it's, it's um, especially nice when direction is good idea yeah yeah <laughs> you know exactly it, it's yeah it's frustrating when it's um yeah when it's not good it's frustrating but it's also i think here i am trying to be positive if i'm in the right headspace yeah it's a a fun challenge it is a tricky thing when you're working with with somebody and you know that it's a bad idea coming at you and you're like (laughs) you know how much of this do i want to not lose my job but also you know make make it as good as it can be and that's a hard one isn't it because like I know some great musicians who will just comfortably speak up and say, I don't know about that, man. I think this is what you're looking for. And yeah. they somehow, somehow they get away with it. Yeah. True. Uh, I don't always that, get away with it. That's a nice it. way of putting it. I know some musicians who don't put it that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> but do they continue to get hired though? Like <laughs> sometimes it's even just like facial expressions. Oh, know, right. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. You going with that? <laughs> I'm de- I definitely do that. <laughs> I find it hard yeah. to hide what I what I'm thinking. Stink face. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, are you very prolific? Do you write every day? Uh, um, I I did. I wrote um, when I got into writing when I was twelve. I'd probably write about three or four songs a week. I just I I really felt like I discovered that I had wings at that point. Like I, oh my God, I can fly. I'm going to fly as much as I can. Um, It really felt like that to me. And I I maintained um, that kind of riding habit, uh, you know, for probably close to 20 20 years-ish or maybe 15 years um, until I, yeah, probably more like 15 years uh, when I made my first album. And and that was the first time I kind of disrupted that that pattern or that habit. Um, And it was just because I, I was, you know, I'd put the songs together for the first album, we'd rehearsed the first album, and then we'd gone and started recording it, and then we were worried about recording it and and, and then and then practicing it to, to start playing it live and stuff, and I just, it didn't feel like it sort of, like it, I didn't have the drive to write anymore because I was, I knew that nothing I wrote would ever go anywhere for the next little while, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? It's kind of like there's different phases, you know? Yeah. Like I'm yeah. in a writing phase now and I'm in a performance phase and... Yeah, and I think I actually ended up doing what you just described. But up until then, I'd just written constantly. Um, but then I, you know, the the first album came out, and then there was a there was a a, a moment, and then um, I started writing again, and then I sort of did that. I just sort of, you know, went through those sort of write, record, write, record. Yeah. Phase. And is that is yeah. that still how you kind of do things today? Well, um, t- kind of, yeah. Uh, but I, after my third album. Um, I think that was when it really dawned on me that the industry was really changing and not in a good way. And um, I'd been around for a while at that point and I'd been sort of chewed up and spat out a few times um, by the business. And I, I hit the ground, you know, like I, I ended up just, um, you know, in a, in a bad headspace. Uh, I, just lost, I just lost it. I lost, I lost the mojo. I just thought, what's the point? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still, you know, I've been a full-time musician for 15 years, so I was still working. Um, I was still playing and stuff, but I just thought, what's the point in writing and recording? You know, Spotify had, had come to New Zealand that year, and I just, I saw the writing on the wall at that point. Um, and yeah, I, I just lost it. And so I, I kind of hung it up for a few years. Um, for about three or four years, I didn't really write anything, except for the odd, like I'd get an idea and I'd, you know, of course, yeah. years of years of writing would that habit would mean I would still like develop the idea and record it and then save it, <laughs> you know. But um, but that was just more like some weird knee jerk reaction, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And did you find but, when you when you came back to it, then you were kind of renewed or? Yeah, I did, because yeah. uh, I was I was traveling at the time through Europe and um, and I was walking through the streets of Vienna randomly, and I just had this moment where I thought. Oh yeah, I I wasn't ever doing this for anybody else, you know. I was just making music was supposed to just be for me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Why would I ever stop doing that? It's my greatest love. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, it sucks that the music industry is in the shape it's in, but that shouldn't stop me 
you know, having my love affair with music. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people feel like that. You know, it's yeah. a, there's a kind of a disillusionment with, you know. I think what, so. What is the point of, of doing all this, like, you know, going to all this effort and all this work for something that seems to be kind of undervalued at the moment? Absolutely. I don't think there's an easy answer for that. Um, and you're right, it's, it's so much work and effort to just then get a few likes and clicks here and there and it kind of yeah. gets lost lost in the noise and you go, okay, well, that was a lot of money and a lot of time and I bared my soul just so I could get what exactly? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, it's uh, hard to reconcile. And how do you feel about it now, like the, the, the industry in, in general? Because like, you, you switched up into doing podcasts and things. You're like a podcast veteran now. <laughs> you, you nearly made it to like 100 episodes, right? Yeah, we're just about to release our 100th episode in, um, let's see, what date is it? The 28th of July. I think we're releasing it in the middle, uh, in about two weeks, two and a half weeks. Our 100th episode is coming out. That's class. Uh, that is it's awesome. A, it's, it's quite bizarre, isn't it, to think that we've released that much. There's, there's uh, what, they're about, a hundred, they're about um, an hour to an hour and a half long each. And so there's about... 150 hours of me talking in the universe i don't know if i don't know if the universe needed that but you know. <laughs> so how, how did you get into podcasting what kind of brought you there um i it, okay so I, i've been thinking about this a little bit more recently as well so the pragmatic story like the the um the literal story is that i was touring with a guy <clears throat> to, with this drummer um by the name of bobby kennedy and he was in a um a band in new zealand called op shop who were uh, uh, you know hugely successful here. Um, I don't know if they had much of an impact outside of New Zealand, but they were sort of one of the more successful bands in New Zealand history. And um, and the band had ended, and he was now working with me in another thing. And so um, we were driving along between gigs on tour once, and um, he was we we're talking like just talking shop. You know how musicians do. We just yeah. compare war yeah, stories yeah. and we talk shit and joke around and. And um, you'll never guess what happened to me this time. And, you know, there's yeah. nothing. This happened to me this other time. And, you know, <clears throat> um, talking about people we knew and this guy screwed that guy and, you know, all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I said to him, like, these stories that we, the, these conversations that we have in the car or in the hotel after the gig or whatever, um, these, these are golden stories that never get out because, you know, when musicians talk, like when they do media, they tend to just get, you know yeah. put their best impression well, forward, that's and they what water I was going to say. If if we recorded the what we talked about <laughs> in cars <laughs> and vans, <laughs> like we wouldn't, we would get banned from probably every platform. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And um, but I said like like but you know that's the good stuff. Like that's really the honest stuff. Yeah. Um, true. And I. I've felt for a long time like the music industry repeats the same problems over and over again because we lack communication, you know? So like since the 50s, sort of arguably when the music industry really took off, um, the same problems have happened with record deals and bad management contracts and all the same crap has happened over and over again through the through the generations. Um, but there's a disconnect with the older generations talking to the younger generations um, and and there's been a disconnect in, in in the way of like trying to change it. You know, it just sort of happens over and over again. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. I think I think kind of the older generation's kind of a little bit lost in the woods as much as the younger generation, though, because it's like it literally we saw it kind of change under our feet. So it's like, that's right. We used to buy CDs and follow bands, and now exactly. it's like we don't really know what to do. You know? No, exactly. No, we're we're completely lost. I mean. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't even know to where, where to begin when it comes to really manipulating things like playlists and, and, um, and I don't even like social media. So it's really hard to get into that and fully and use it properly because I don't like it. I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find it, I find it depressing and, and antagonizing and toxic. And I, I feel much better when I turn it off and go and do something else, you know? <laughs> um, That's but, true, um, but it's, it's a necessary kind of part of exposing exposing yourself <laughs> it's a necessary part of getting your stuff out there <laughs> there's there's your hook right there <laughs> um, yeah. it is it, it is but at the same time when like and i ask people this a lot as well like what's the conversion though like what does it lead to 
you know and and most artists young old doesn't matter they don't have an answer like the, you know does is your all of the work and time and stuff you're putting into social media is that going to lead to ticket sales or income or expand you know ex, uh, expanding your fan base what's the tangible conversion most people have no idea because yeah. we don't because and i'm not saying i have any idea i it's don't it's very hard to quantify yeah it is it really is yeah um I but think, anyway th- the, the the appeal for me i think is is the reach of it you know you can actually find people that are do, do you know because we we got you know what was that the audrey podcasting yeah. thing yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like a social media thing for podcasters and yeah. that's how we ended up talking you know so that's right I, th- I think that's the if you can embrace that kind of side of it it's it i know I, what you're I saying though so. about a return like a return on some sort of money making <laughs> from yeah. it yeah. you know but uh i think i, I, yeah. I like I mean the the reach thing. I guess I, that, to me that's kind of like scatter marketing, you know, like um, getting lots of little, small little flyers and throwing thousands of them off the top of a building and hoping that one of them will land on the lap of someone who gives a shit, you know. Yeah, uh, to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you never you never like, come across people on on social media really. It's like, I'm going straight to buy your album now. That's right. <laughs> like, exactly. As a, as a person, yeah. Yeah. No, all of the um the supposed conversions are always hypothetical or one step removed. I knew a guy that made some money. Oh yeah, who is he? I don't know. You know, yeah, like, yeah, like you never yeah. meet the where's when was the last time you met someone who went, "No, I like Spotify. I've made lots of money." You know. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> said nobody exactly. ever. Yeah. Or I've um I just paid my rent last week with the money I made off Facebook. Who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But there's lots yeah. of yeah, there's lots of kind of yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a weird one. It is. You so, have to kind of keep some kind of optimism about it, though, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, my so my attitude is, um, you can't fix the car until you can figure out what's wrong with it, you know. Mm. And to identify what's what's broken about the car doesn't make you negative or cynical. It just means you're looking at the car. <laughs> you know, if you can fix the car, then you can drive somewhere. So I th- I personally think it's far more optimistic and positive to identify what's wrong with it and then find a solution and then try and move forward. Um, so having said that, what is wrong with the music industry today? <laughs> Other than <laughs> we're all locked down and we can't play gigs and, you know, the oh, pandemic yeah. and stuff. Apart from that, yeah. Um, I mean, I, like, you know, such a, obviously such a massive question and, um, and I certainly don't want anyone to think that I think I know all the answers. Well, um, what, would be, what but, would be your kind of ideal? Like if you, you know best case scenario what would you like to see the music industry going towards um i think that the music industry has basically ended and because we all want it so desperately to be we won't admit that it's gone and so therefore we're we've kind of got it on life support i think i think that we actually need to accept that the industry as we knew it is gone and then rebuild a new industry and so i think um our problem is is that we won't let go you know, I think we need to figure out how to move forward into the future. Forget about the the old the old ideals of, you know, sign the record deal and and whatever whatever the cliches are. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to go. You know what? Forget about that. Let's just go one foot in front of the other, and you know, establish what your goal is. Figure out the steps how to get to that goal, and um, and just make it a practical thing. To me, that simplifies everything. You know, so me and my um, colleagues at the moment are developing a show that we're really excited about. We're going to keep it small. We're going to go for like a few hundred people, um, and make it a you know just sort of keep the keep the um, the overheads down and keep you know keep the costs down and and just go for like a really cool, interesting show. Sell tickets, get people to the show. You know what I mean? And just do this nice yeah. independent little thing. Um, so are you back so- allowed having gigs now? Yeah, that's that's one thing. Is New Zealand the New Zealanders kind of the you're, oddball? You're like on that the one. superheroes of the world. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just kicked its ass. You know, there's like yeah. two people have it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're so. I mean, I, I shouldn't laugh because it's it's awful what's happening everywhere else. But we're um, we're so fortunate. Um, the only cases we have now are, um, as far as I know, are quarantined at the border. I, I think we might have yeah. like twenty cases, or something, like twenty cases or something really low. That's um, amazing. 
Like, I mean, an got, island yeah. nation, you know, we could learn, we could learn a few things. <laughs> you know. Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, how, do, how does it look from, from, I mean, yeah. Cause I, cause <laughs> I heard one person like really criticize the hype around New Zealand and go, yeah, but you guys are an island in the middle of nowhere. Like it's actually quite a bit of effort to get the virus to you guys. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that's a well, fair point. Well, you'd think, I, I mean, we're an island here too, but yeah, that's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, true. Because <laughs> some of some of the islands are not the same country, depending on who you ask. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, um, no, we're just so lucky here, and it, and we're living in this weird little bubble right now because we're all watching the news on you know the international news, um, but it's not really real here. You know, here life has come has gone back to usual. Oh, right. So it's kind of pretty normal there. Yeah, just apart from the fact that the borders are closed and we can't travel and, you know, things like that. But everything else, I think that's the only thing that's not normal. There's no wow. restrictions anymore. Like, we, we went into lockdown for quite a few weeks and um, and we weren't allowed to, to you know, do anything, really. But um, but it all, they sort of came, they brought us back out one step at a time and and now we can we can put big gigs on again. We can do everything. Wow, cool. So, it's cool, so but like- it's weird. And did you find lockdown a kind of creative time? Or yeah. Was it like a pain uh, Yeah. Like we, I mean, we actually recorded, wrote and recorded a song together um, from our independent studios. You know, we constructed the song. Um, the The name of the band is Noise Play and the song's called Just a Little Bit. If everyone, if anyone wants to look it up on YouTube. Um, got We got a great response and, the you know, made a cool video to go with it and stuff. Um, and that was loads of fun. But the rest of the time I was just... I mean, I was working, I was able to work through because I was able to work online a bit. Um, and um, the, rest of the rest of the time, I was just sort of laying low. I, you know, I was, I didn't really feel the need to, to do anything. And I, and I don't know about you, but I, I haven't really been missing playing live. Have you? Not, not especially, no. It's weird. But we did have a rehearsal um, last week and it was the first time I had played music with people in a room. Right. For like since March. And that <laughs> yeah. was that was great and you kind of it does make you appreciate what you don't have you know yeah but i did i found it quite a creative time and because there was no pressure on you have to be here and you have to you know get in the car and drive for hours and end um all that pressure was off so you could just kind of concentrate on whatever music you wanted to and you know finally learn that complicated jazz solo that i've always wanted (laughs) to learn you know Knowing that I won't ever have to play it for anybody. <laughs> That's from right. Public. Yeah, no one's ever going to pay you for that. But it's fun but to I, learn. Yeah, I think you kind of do disappear, you know, into work mode where you're playing a lot of music that you might ne- not necessarily have uh, grown up wanting to play. So you kind yeah. of compromise a little bit and like learning country licks or something. Yeah, for, I know. I know a, a lot of people here. I know a lot of people here who have said you know they've finally got around to like finishing the album or starting the album or they've gotten back to the projects that they always wanted to do but they never got around to yeah and it was it was like that little gift of time you know yeah um i think i've always sort of stubbornly made things happen i've always been a pretty driven person so i've never really let the world stop me or let like the busyness of life stop me making the record or whatever i want to do yeah. It's just a weird it's a weird quirk about me. So I guess it didn't have that effect on me. But it's really cool to see that it happened to other people. Well, it definitely happened. I, d- I definitely felt that. Not yeah. that it was like a good thing, but it was kind of artistically it was a good thing, I suppose. I think for me what it was is more of a um it made me take stock a lot, uh, you know, just in more general terms, you know, like what do I really want out of my life? You know, where, where is this yeah. going? Who am you I? Know? <laughs> yeah. Why am I wasting my time with those people? <laughs> you know, and things like that. And um, yeah, I, just, I feel clearer now about what I'm doing, which is cool. Yeah. I think that that's a benefit. And it's just yeah. kind of speaking to that, you know, just in terms of like minding your own, because minding your own kind of mental health, because yeah. I find it's such, like there's one thing that I've noticed when I've talked to everybody who's like creatives and musicians and stuff it's just such an unstable way of working that you kind of have some periods where you're really productive and, you know, full of creativity. And then you have other periods where it's like, oh man, what the 
what the fuck is the point in doing any of this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know, because you're right. going to be a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, do you have any do you have any kind of things that you rely on to kind of keep you grounded or, you know, make sure you um, don't spin out? Oh, kind of. But I'm I, that's kind of what I'm working on. You know, like life life balance has not been good for most of the time I've been working or existing. You know, I've always been um, I've always worked way too many hours and just I've I've always put just way too much effort and energy into everything I've ever done and worked ridiculous hours and um and never really taken care of myself um I mean I I'm I'm a relatively healthy person in what I eat and things but um I I don't sleep as much as I should you know nights are too late you know all that kind of stuff um I had a pretty rocky childhood as well so I've got all the I've got all the shit in my head that'll keep me awake and you know, if I if I spend too much time in my own head, it's not a good thing, you know. So um, so yeah, I've got to think about all that stuff too. Um, but that's uh, that's what I've kind of been working on. Um, and I have a bit of stability around me now. I've got a long term partner. We've got a dog. We've had for almost ten years, you know. So those kind of things kind of keep me grounded. Like just walking the dog is my way of clearing my head. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and uh, and I've been trying to like put more time recently into things like um just friendships and just spending time doing things for fun not because they're going to serve my career <laughs> you know this yeah, is all well, novel- I th- I this is a novelty a, for me it's such a difficult thing to separate though because <laughs> yeah. you know you initially you do this because it's fun and it's you know you have some weird calling to it and then some way down the line it kind of flips to going this has to be my career and you know, I have to be seen this way right? to like make it in the world. And it's like, it's all just a kind of a, you know, going on in your brain. But uh, it, That's it, right. it, it really kind of hardens your attitudes towards like, this is my career now and I take my music very seriously, you know. <laughs> and it's kind of, I don't know how, uh, how positive th- that is for people who are considering this as a career because... <laughs> you know well unless- yeah i don't i don't know if you really want your hobby to be your job and and yet that was all i ever wanted when i was when i was young you know i i really worked my ass off to try and figure out how to not be stuck in the day job you know how to how to have music be my job and i'm really glad i did it i don't i have no regrets on that um but now what i've had to do is try and separate them in my head like i actually consider a side of my guitar playing to be a hobby and another side of my guitar playing to be a job. I've started oh, yeah, to kind of, yeah. I yeah, kind of split them. That's cool. Yeah. Like there's stuff so, that I learn. And I think, I think you kind of alluded to that before. Um, I learn stuff, but not because it's ever going to really serve my career, but because this is, this is me as a hobby now learning the next cool thing. Yeah. That's interesting. That, yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. I never it's kind of like you like change that. you change your hat. You kind of <laughs> you know yeah. you kind of go. This is the hat I wear when I'm working, and then I'll change my hat. I'm still holding my guitar. I'll just change my hat. My hobby is you know. my hobby. <laughs> that's deep, man. <laughs> I like I <laughs> well, the thing is, I think that's um, uh, like before when you were asking about how I sort of came back to writing and stuff, and I kind of realized that playing the guitar, playing music in general, not just the guitar, but um, playing music and writing music was always just it was my safe place it was my escape it was my joy it was that you know it was this innocent um pure thing that hadn't yet been tainted by the the industry and the world around me and all that stuff um and i realized that i needed to protect that and some of my influences have have been the same um some i've worked with some really great people many of them have said the same thing sort of you know versions of the same sort of thing to me um based on you know no matter what happens in your career success failure you know good things bad things um never let go of that thing that that pure relationship that you have with the music never forget it's like never forget the reason why you do it yes yeah yeah it's easy yeah. easy kind of spin out from that though isn't it it's really it's, easy yeah especially where where we're at with the industry that's right oh so, uh, 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 incrementally you just find yourself wandering away from the cause <laughs> you and then yeah. you just wake up and you go oh shit i'm in the middle of a desert you yeah know? <laughs> and i think i think you know a lot of the times you'll take compromises as an artist 
you know yes when you're starting out it's like hey come and play in my bar and uh, i won't pay you but i will give you exposure <laughs> you, know, you know this kind of and then you compromise yeah. once and before you know it you're not valuing what you're doing at all and i think there's there's an inherent problem in in music in general now that it's like yeah there's an overall feeling where people don't value music not in the same yes. way that you value other things it's like yeah you can go and buy a coffee because you have to pay for coffee but right. you don't have to pay for music because you know that's free it's like it's and, a joke hey eh? it's a it's like pfft. Paying for music? You joking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think sometimes like musicians kind of play into that too and go, oh, "Well, my music shit anyway." I think I musicians. Are the, I, I, think I don't musicians... really think it's shit, but it is. It's you know you wouldn't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think musicians are often their own worst enemies. You know, we we um we we undervalue ourselves constantly. We undercut each other's um bands as well like how many times have you heard about other bands accepting lower fees and lowest like shittier circumstances and things and you go great well now you've just meant that we all have to drop our standards you know there's always a band who will do that too yeah yeah exactly i I would play for less than free (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll pay you to play yeah 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 Uh, yeah. there you go man I also think that like in in um conversations about things like spotify we could actually uh if all of the artists in the world became of one mind, we would just take our music down and, and Spotify would completely lose its relevancy. Yeah, totally. But as if a consumer, just, you know, like, yeah, it's so, it's so handy, you know? That's right. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I don't use it, so I don't know. But, no? um, but I, I, I'm not suggesting that we can ever change it or un, undo it. I'm just saying like, hypothetically speaking, if all musicians grew, grew a pair and pulled together, um, we could take it down. I don't think we will. I'm just saying we could. Yeah, I think like there's definitely scope for that, though, for more musicians to be more assertive and value what it is that you do. Yeah. More. And, That's right. And actually, you know, yeah, grow up here. I like you say. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, that would be the next punk movement. Like what? What happened to the rock and roll side of rock and roll? You know? What happened yeah. to us going, you know, fuck off, you know, like what we, you know, Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan and, and Neil Young and all these people taught us how to be rock and roll. And we, yeah. and we forgot, you know? Yeah. It's kind of gone bland. It's like, yeah, we're, we're all terrified. Bland, bl- not the music, but like bland in, in attitude. Yeah. That's, that's right. right. We're, I think we're all terrified. We're, 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 you know, oh no, what if we don't, what if we don't get the exposure? What if they say yeah. they don't like us? They'll Who just cares? click. What if they retweet? Yeah. Exactly. So what yeah. advice would you give to somebody starting off a musical career now? And I know the obviously we're in pandemic land and nobody knows what's yeah. going to happen and all. But say kind of everything was to write itself in the next year or so. Yeah, what, we what? have to kind of we we have to kind of talk in terms of, you know, like not acknowledging the virus eh, to have this conversation. Uh, we're, we're either well, talking if, about you know yeah before i or mean afterwards. <laughs> if it goes on for a long time i mean who knows who knows what's uh yeah what it's going to look well, like but, but but i think i mean i i do have an answer for that and i think um i think it can actually include the pandemic which is um i i think it's it's really simple i think we just uh we just put our careers together as if it's never happened before you know consider the music industry um let's say go back to like the 1940s 1950s no one had done anything yet. It had just begun, you know, like they had just invented yeah. the technology and whatever the industry was about to be was sort of getting assembled based on supply and demand and based on people putting things in place that were going to serve their best agendas. You know, it wasn't charity. It was people trying to get rich, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and lots but, of people did. Exactly. But they, they went, you know, there's a, there's a need here where there's, there's an audience for this and I've got a way of getting the, the thing to the audience and they're going to pay us the money and they, you know, it was supply and demand. It was just basic nuts and bolts, basic business. Um, they weren't going, well, how did they do it in the 1800s? They weren't worried about the past. Yeah. There, was, <laughs> there, there was no past, you know? So if we take that approach now, um, I think everything becomes almost solved immediately. I mean, if you just look at like the streaming model from a business point of view and you imagine like, forget the music industry, just imagine this as a, bus- a, a business function. You're now in a, in a meeting trying to sell this idea 
um, I've got this business plan. Um, look, maybe you're in Dragon's Den, you know. Yeah. And you're, yeah, yeah. you're say, and you're saying saying to Duncan Bannatine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you and you're saying I've got this idea. I'm going to make this music. It's going to cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to produce. Um, then I'm going to put it on the streaming platform that that pays me point zero zero four cents per click. Um, can you imagine how long you would last in the den? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think if you just sort of erase everything and just build it new, where's the supply and the demand? Where's the, you know, what are you trying to do? Where's the audience? And just look at it that way. I think everyone can figure their own career out with that basic common sense, yeah. which means that the answer for me will be slightly different to the answer for you and someone else, but it will be based on functionality and results rather than, um, uh, you know, trying to relive what's gone. Yeah, well, sense? like <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of always keeping an eye out for younger people who are, have grown up without the kind of memory of like yeah you know the album release cycle on get you get it on cd i was just telling my my wife the other day that um i remember back in like in the 90s i would go to a a shop and buy a single release from a band yeah that had like an extra track on it and it'd be like a japanese import and it'd cost (laughs) like 17 euros and she's like for yeah. for a song it's like yeah well they had a b-side and nobody had heard it and i had to get it and it was like, exciting it was yeah it was so cool but like there's a whole generation growing up now that are like you did what <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that too i also remember like getting into bands that no one had heard of in new zealand and they were like like lesser known american bands and stuff and you'd have to import the the albums and they would take weeks you know, you'd place, you'd go yeah. down, I'd have to go into the city and then pay a ridiculous amount of money and then wait for like two or three months for this thing to arrive. And then it yeah. finally got it and you just milked it for information. Like not only did you listen to it, but you read all of the liner notes and you memorized the lyrics and you memorized the track order and you, and yeah, you, yeah. you studied the photos and look at the jacket and look, look at that guitar. What is that guitar? And, you know, you just, you just sucked that thing dry, you know, um, and that that that's lost, I think. It 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 definitely is lost, and it, it's yeah. a shame. And uh, you know, uh, you, I suppose you could say it's like that's ah, just some old guys talking about when they were young. <laughs> well, <laughs> you it know? is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but is. like there, but there was a joy to that, and I think it's like a timeless joy that you could get the same from when you get a good book, and you know, yeah. you the edges start getting frayed and stuff like that. I mean. I mean, it's. I think people people um, give us they 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 give us a, a lot of grief for you know for this type of conversation, like a couple of old guys ranting about the past. Yeah, but it was awesome. It was. <laughs> you know? It was great. Yeah. Yeah, and so like we should be ranting about it, you know, because it used to be awesome, and music used to be the most incredible experience, and uh, and and now I just. You know, I mean, I hope the new generations have their own version of that love. I, I really hope they do. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. The, that'd be the main thing. It's like, yeah, you know, we're not saying it is like you should do this, and I was like, you're missing no. out. Like, yeah, yeah, this exactly. was amazing. That's right. It was, it was, it was so amazing that you stopped everything and you went, okay, forget, forget that that comfortable career option. You know, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna put everything in my life on the line to somehow be attached to this. Or involved yeah. in it. That's how that's how yeah, amazing yeah. it was. People are like you're going to be broke and you may not live past thirty, and you're like, okay, I'm fine with that because <laughs> yeah, this is no so problem. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how good it was. Yeah, the unexplainable. <laughs> so, um, so would you have any, just to finish up? Um, I've asked everybody this, and I'm, I'm getting a big list together of uh, right. Do you have any? Um, Anything that was inspirational in terms of like uh, books, albums, what are what are like the ones that mean a lot to you and even maybe ones that have kind of helped you in your career? So like um, books, albums, movies, whatever. Yeah. Well, there's, there's loads of albums, obviously. Um, you know, it sounds like we're both massive music fans. Um, and there were, there were albums that really woke me up, you know. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I was into Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson um, big time. I, I ended up liking anything funky, really. Um, and then later on, you know, bands like The Police and The Beatles and that sort of stuff, you know, um, 
Um, but actually, uh, my inclination is to answer more with books because books really, um, they really uh, kind of helped me assemble my career in many ways. And, it's, and it was uh, more specifically, mostly autobiographies. Um, and it was like um, Charlie Chaplin's autobiography was a big oh, one cool. for me. Um, because he was, he was this entrepreneur who kind of did what I was describing before, where he kind of bucked the industry as it existed and just set up his own studio. And he realized that there was power and in independence. Um, and so he's, all those movies that he's famous for, he produced them himself. You know, he put his own company together and became a multi, multi, multi-millionaire in, you know, in a world where that would have made him the equivalent of a trillionaire. You know? yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and he was just, um, uh, I mean, he was so well-organized and so business-minded as well as creative. When a lot of people can't get their brain around that idea. They think you've got to be one or the other. I think you, I think you yes. can be totally both, you know. Um, but he was so business-orientated and so successful that he was later accused of being a communist. <laughs> was, people couldn't accept it. Um, but... Um, but like books like that really landed with me, uh, and then um, lots of autobiographies along the way. Uh, Andy Summers from the Police was um, one of the best I've ever read. Another another one of the most inspiring books I've ever, I ever read was Possibilities, a story um, autobiography of Herbie Hancock. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, who was you know amazing piano player, um, and um, and also uh, the um, Losing My Virginity, uh, Richard Branson. You know, for some reason, I, I, that might have been a timing thing, but. When I was in my early twenties, I read that, and um, and that was cool as well. Because I don't know about you, but when I grew up, where I grew up, and when I grew up, um, uh, people, I, I, they kind of, they didn't associate um, academia and business mindedness and that kind of sort of thing with the arts. Yeah, so, they still don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, um, and so I've always been um, attracted to that. I mean, I've, I figured out how to put my career together by putting a business approach around my creativity. And, and yeah. that was like, the, that was sort of the golden ticket for me. And um, because Richard Branson was this kind of aloof, long haired kind of hippie guy who just, again, he was just solving problems. I'm, I don't know if you've read the book, but um, he, he was just solving problems. He was like, well, I'll, he, he somehow ended up with a record store and then he was having problems with his distributors. So he thought, well, I'll just distribute it myself. And he just drove a van over and picked up the records. <laughs> and then he kind of goes, well, why don't I just become the record company? And then I can be the record company and the distributor and the record shop. And this was the reason why he ended up, you know, long, long story short, he ended up with Virgin Records being a record yeah. store and a, and a major record company and eventually a studio and all these other things. And, he, and all he was doing was just solving problems one step after the other, which is kind of what i've been trying to say yeah like um, a more pragmatic approach where yeah. yeah and I, and that really i found that so inspiring <laughs> and, you know so yeah to me it's been books really yeah so i think you know that's that's really good isn't it that the the entrepreneurial spirit and like having a business having a business sense around what you're doing is so yeah. important you know it's Absolutely. like a, and and that's what you are as a, as a musician now is you're kind of a you're a small business and yeah, you, you do totally lots of different are. things and you have to kind of put out a lot of different fires and spin a lot of different plates but <laughs> that's right <laughs> but i yeah. think that's totally right and I, and in the past i think um i think musicians weren't like that necessarily because the industry was so much more profitable and they often had people around them taking care of these things but those people around them would often be the ones that would screw them you yeah. know um so now we have the we have the kind of the the advantage of that we can be like that because we can, you know, on a much smaller scale, we're more of a boutique industry now, um, but we can actually manage our own careers and we can get the lion's share of things and maintain the rights. Well, I think that's a benefit. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I often argue that um, if you're not making the money, someone else's. So the musicians that are being aloof about it and going, I don't want to know, I don't care. Okay, you don't have to care, but just realize someone's going to make the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, someone's going to get it. And you usually are the last to do, to do that. That's right. <laughs> They're not going to say, well, you're stupid, so we'll just give you the money because we'll feel sorry for you. They're not going to do yeah. that. They're just going to put it in their pocket and take off. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you mean that's not happening? <laughs> 
Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, Danny, <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. It's flown by. Yeah. Thanks very much for uh, taking time out of your evening. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your morning. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You are listening to From the Maker to the Maid podcast. 